We so all you, do, you know. We're, we're the mycelium <laughs> network, right? So we all need it. each other's support. Yeah. So Ishni meets um, Jason. Jason meets Ishni, and instant siblings. There we go. So tell hey. me, yeah, tell me a little bit about. He yourself, means it too, Jason, and your work. <laughs> Jason, he he means it. He like uh, he makes a relationship, and then that's it. He um, yeah yeah it's 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 forever. So he's. Uh, with with Chels in the in the, in our Indigenous Knowledge Systems Lab, they're, they're like uh, they're like siblings, uh, have been for years. So which has him using, you know, East Coast Aboriginal knowledge systems in his urban design work in like Qatar and and stuff and going around the other side of the world. So an American, who who Chels describes as a black woman. Uh, joking <laughs> time time. Tra trapped in a white man's body yeah. hey, hey. <laughs> oh i love that well real pleasure to meet you i when jason mentioned very casually i just like googled and then i was like oh my god this person is so cool <laughs> yeah then i freaked out but lovely to meet you lovely to meet you i'm just the dude in service <laughs> <laughs> The dude abides. Oh. Dude abides. <laughs> so tell me, yeah, tell me about your story a bit, like how you've come to this incredible opportunity to work with Tyson and the team, and you know where you are in your PhD and your your uh, you know your problem statement and what you're trying, what your aims are. Oh, great. Well, it's been a long journey, uh, but so I've did my I've done my honors in. Uh, indigenous knowledge and climate change, but it was more of a lit review comparing, because I'm from Sri Lanka, by the way. It was mm -hmm. a comparison of indigenous knowledge um, in the climate change context in Sri Lanka and Australia, uh, which was pretty cool. It led to some interesting findings. Mostly the commonalities between the two was the fact that, you know, both, um, both societies existed in long periods of colonization. I guess, Indigenous people here are still in that process. Although in Sri Lanka, we are con we considered to have had independence <laughs> since 1948. It it's not it doesn't feel that way. We're still like experiencing those very subtle effects of colonization that happened since 1505 to the 1900s. So there's like a long period of things that came with it, and my sort of entry point into region and urbanism was that um, I'm basically, I come from environmental science, 
but I started out my PhD in engineering. And then I switched to architecture because engineering seemed very confined within its disciplinary boundaries. And the work that I wanted to do seemed very interdisciplinary because I entered it thinking that it was a conservation issue. You know, how um, conservation is still operating at a fortress model where it's like, you know, protected area is here and like Tyson mentioned earlier, protected area here, human settlement here, and the more overlap there is, the less conservation outcomes that occur. But still, people are, we're increasing, we're starting to notice that even within reserve systems and strict nature reserves, there's still, this rates of species decline are still occurring, right? And sometimes even more, although the number of protected areas has increased, species decline is still, happening at alarming rates and even more so in Australia. Um, and so that's kind of how I entered into regen and urbanism because I, it got me thinking of, you know, may, there's fundamental like things that we're doing wrong or something that prevents us from being a part of the system that we were once a part of or we still are a part of. And like, and conservation still operates in that disconnect where Nature, is, nature and man are seen as others and, you know, it, it still fails to sort of incorporate the two together because, you know, we always observe like negative effects to biodiversity, the, the more human settlement or the more in, interaction between humans there is. But the problem with that was conservation was actively driving out indigenous populations, even in Sri Lanka and in many other parts of the world because you know conservation or this western reductionist colonization narrative of conservation has that idea that man doesn't belong there and so indigenous people or at least the vaddas in my country who used to practice do the yeah green terranalius thanks Tyson. yeah so, exactly it was used as a means to separate the indigenous people from their traditional lands when they were actually responsible for maintaining that biodiversity. And so my study is basically about forming a design framework that can have human settlements that actually improve conservation outcomes using indigenous knowledge and several theories like integral sustainable design and regenerative adaptive pattern language. But yeah, I'll stop Ooh, my right there. Dropping, yeah. dropping Alexand Alexandrianisms in there, pattern language. Yeah, that um, comes from my uh, other supervisor, Phil, because um, he created uh, a regenerative and adaptive pattern language using indigenous knowledges and the climate change narrative. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's really cool. If we can design systems that are actively adaptive and regenerative while like, you know, you have ecosystem and conservation outcomes on the top, that would be really cool. So that's what I wanted to tap into. That's, you might have, might have come across his stuff, Dr. Philip Bruce. <laughs> Dr. Philip Bruce does all the biophilic uh, design that stuff and he talks like that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes another columbusing term um as Charles taught me biophilia and biomimicry well that's amazing i love that journey i'm both extremely impressed 
and also envious that you're still in this ability. Like I, I, I'd want to go back and study all that with you over again. <laughs> I've had to do the hard yards of like discovering that, you know, just by meeting people. Well, we didn't have any of that stuff in school when I went to school. I'm all old now. We had the gray, the gray beards. Um, yeah, you're spot on uh, with everything you're saying, and and the and. Um, you know, how you navigate the complexity of all that in a still conservative, predominantly Western dominated sector of real estate, you know, ur development and urban governance, right? And what is the, you know, the bridging language between where we are now and the system we ultimately need to create that enables and fosters that idea of a harmonized human and life-centered approach to human settlement, right? That that really infuses indigenous ideology and custodianship of life, not just how we commodify and govern and use land for the sole purpose of human benefit, right? Even getting into like ecosystem service language and ecologist language where it's like, you know, services that nature provide to create the benefits to people. It's like, what do I mean? Just people? It's like <laughs> the conditions conducive to life on our planet. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and it's, you know, I've, one thing is the word re regeneration in the context of how I was trained on it and in uh, working very closely with the likes of the Regenesis team, who Tyson probably knows now, and Carol Sanford, who's one of my elders in that space. I just paid homage to a couple weeks last week and saw her. Um, and then, and, you know, basically the lineage of knowledge has come down through her, through a few others. Um, so I'm, I'm like the middle generation passing it on to the next generation. Um, it's very much learned and driven from first people's ideologies in the Americas and elsewhere where there's been accrued knowledge, um, but, but taught in a Western context. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, so I left the US, came to Australia, and it was the first time I heard the word urban regeneration, right, which is a very Anglo UK driven real estate or property sector vernacular in the u.s and north american context it's usually called urban revitalization or urban renewal and less urban renewal because there's right. a stigma associated with urban renewal from a largely the erasing of the mistakes of mid-20th century public housing and tearing down largely low-income neighborhoods make way for gentrified new mixed income development quote unquote um so urban revitalizations replace renewal and, and contemporary real estate language here but urban regeneration is what's largely used in the uk europe and australia context so i got really confused myself when i started with lendlease and I'm talking about regenerative design and they're talking about urban regeneration. I was like, hold on a minute. You can't use that word regeneration like that. <laughs> it's like, you don't even know That's, what it means yet. <laughs> Ishmi's run into the problem of like trying to find a definition. And, and there are like yeah. 400 different definitions that all contradict each other at the oh, moment. They totally are. Um, so I just reverted to using regenerative urbanism. 
or regenerative city making or and then Charles and I just landed on life-centered design in our work because people have been grasping in the placemaking sphere the people that are trying to be custodians of the in-between the public space in cities which is crucial um and, and there, there's this movement on human-centric design and human-centric cities which again is anthropocentric everything's for the benefit of people and that's why we've manifested human settlements the way they look and feel now we talked about col colonialism still happening in sri lanka or middle east or anywhere else even when the local custodians of that country and land are in charge government-wise they're still highly colonialized from an urban context because they're using Western structures of financing, planning and design and hiring Ram Koolhaases to fucking plan their cities. So it looks like a Western style skyline. You know, it's like it's not from place or from country. So it gets into that whole notion of place source potential and and country-led design and thinking, um, you know, that, that country, this is where I like, I love Auntie Anne. Um, and she taught me about law of, law of land, right? And it starts from that foundation. You know, you don't put a pen to paper until you really have that deep discovery on the geomorphology and cultural elements and paradigms of place. And then it should evolve from there. So there's all that training, but we just, jump to how many cars can we fit on that fucking spot um so it's it is the unraveling and I, I mean i can talk to you guys about this all day but like i have to there's tears of language and tears of how far i'll take a client into the discussion points that we talk about and i have to use the art of you know the western style way of thinking about investment finance risk land economics to take clients on that journey from where they are now and only now am i here like my mentors who mentored me that are really really progressive like sustainable real estate developers and their hearts and minds are in the right place are just now in like their 70s been doing this for 40 years understanding that it's land land is the issue under everything mm -hmm. that it's you can't just figure out how to do all these band-aid solutions. You have to structurally change how we look at our relationship and governance to land. And as soon as we commodit as soon as we commoditize it, it's we've done, you know, as soon as we like privatize or commoditize land, we're fucked. I'll use Tyson's language. <laughs> um, and so yeah, you, you it, have it permission was, to it, use my ahead, language. Tyson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's Tyson's traditional. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, where I've seen fertile ground to really explore new models that create the foundations that will allow for truly regenerative urbanism. Are the, is like the, the confluence of what I'd say a near-term transitional strategy and language we're using now is community wealth building, which is really looking at a power structure shifting from private for-profit corporations to putting back institutional power in the hands of communities and local communities. So in the, you know, this failed experiment of 
I guess, extreme capitalism and free market economics. You have, you know, that we know there's a crisis of equity that every global city in the world is facing right now because of the predominance of investor-led or financial-led urbanization models and the continued metropolitan pressure and the competition that, that cities are under competing for capital and talent or whatever else drives their economic growth agenda that it perpetuates um, like environmental loss and massive social inequality. Well, that, there's now, the trick, like, isn't all it? All of a sudden, the, that's the trick yeah. with if you're doing regenerative urban design, then yeah. you have to be doing some economic engineering, not just uh, you have a physical. whole new system to create. Yeah, well, you have yeah, to look yeah. at economics, yeah. governance, everything else, and the affordances yeah. of those things need to be built into the built environment. And, and there's the trick yeah. because which comes first, you know, it's yeah, yeah it, and I, they're kind of symbiotic see, arrangements. And how do you kickstart a symbiosis from nothing? And where I see the fertile ground and while you're sitting in an extremely valuable spot working with Tyson and his peers is how that notion of the next system required to unlock the potential for regenerative city making is largely driven through an ideological mindset coming from first people's knowledges and paradigms and associations to totemic relationships to those living systems and how they link towards shifting a Western paradigm to a different new system that could be co-created between Western science and indigenous knowledge coming together to create that system. Um, but there's, there's fertile ground I see happening here and abroad um on um, like community community land trusts are one of those mechanisms right so how do you shift power back to the hands of community where you have zones and whole areas of cities or metropolitan wide policies that prevent speculation of land use or speculative development right it goes back to there's a whole there's an economist called henry george that you might want to research and a book called Progress and Poverty that he wrote in 1892 that really honed in on a lot of this stuff. And George's economic theory is a really interesting bridging model. But then it's like how power, how, how financing, land use, um, you know, organizational governance around cooperatives all come together as a transitional system strategy to unlock this. But largely looking at what an indigenous approach to would be of those things um i think that to me is like this interesting near-term horizon that unlocks a lot of also of, of, of how this notion of regenerative potential and urbanization comes about mm. yes, but, does just... that make sense at all <laughs> Yeah, Ishni was telling me before about like a concept from where she, where where she's from. I don't know. Do you do you want to share that, Ishni? Oh, sure. Lake um, and Lake and Temple sort of model there. Oh, but I just thought that was really um particularly in a place where, you know, the, the Western style development is just rampant, and you know that it's a desert making model in a place that's drying out. It's probably not a good idea, but 
what you sounded like was an H2, H2O abundant kind of engineering yeah, model. That's right. Uh, so I was telling Tyson before that in Sri Lanka, when like where I'm from, uh, we used to learn about these really cool cities that existed long time back. Sri Lankan history is really massive, by the way. And like, I didn't used to pay a lot of attention to it until like now when I'm doing this work and I'm like, hey, we did, we had something there. So what Tyson's mentioning is we had a concept called in Sinhalese, I'll say it in Sinhalese and I'll translate it because my mind still, some words still work in Sinhalese and it takes a while. So it's called Vavai Daga by Gamai Pansalai, which means the lake and the stupa, the village and the temple because Sri Lankan, early Sri Lankan society was developed around principles of Buddhism. So, and the kings of that time, they created a system like, so this is in the dry zone of Sri Lanka, by the way, where it's meant to look like NT, like pretty dry and, you know, but it doesn't look like that at all. When you visit the place, it's very lush and green. It, to this day, the tank systems that they have built still work and the water in the canals of that city still run clear because the way that they've built all of those tanks in Anuradhapura and Polonaro, they're all man-made, by the way. It didn't used to exist there because they operated in this sort of mindset that you have to save every drop of rainwater that comes from the sky. And so they built these massive lake systems that were man-made, but they always had this conservation reserve or this area that nobody would touch. And it was for the animals. And that sort of acted as a filtration system. So it was this very old sort of rainwater system that they created where it's stored in this massive tank. It's filtered through the, the trees and the nature reserve on the top. And then it distributes into all the paddy fields because we were primarily a rice growing country. It, uh, now it's uh, all over the place. <laughs> it's very sad now, but yeah let's see because the president first of all i haven't had the privilege of um visiting sri lanka your home country but i know it's i mean it's i've researched the heck out of it it's oh, one of like it. our destiny you know life's to-do list everyone I, a lot of people i met in qatar it's their favorite country mm -hmm. like like it was like consistently everyone's favorite country to visit the people the place the beauty like it's a special place in a lot of people's hearts. So I, I can't wait to visit when I have a chance to go. But I, I know recently the commitment to that all food has to be organic. Is that the president made a decree and that accelerated yeah. something that the country wasn't, it, was, it, it wasn't phased appropriately and it caused a bit of a crisis around food, right? Um, not, it isn't that's like a recent issue. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Like, um, it's the re the recent times have too many problems for my country. It's uh, it's it's base. It's not even an onion. It's more complicated than an onion. Like layers and layers and layers of issues that I've noticed since I was a kid in sixth grade. Because I used to go to school passing this mangrove that had canals built by the Dutch which, you know, it's a mangrove, it's going to flood and fishing, 
fishermen communities started settling there and it's a whole mess because every like rainy season the entire system floods and people are always complaining that their houses are underwater and then it's like why did you build in a mangrove you know but it's not even as simple as that because they've lived there for the longest time that's all they know but it's very difficult to manage because it's it's a mangrove system what are, what are you going to do you know it, it's interesting sounds like those engineer sounds like those dutch engineers suffered from white man disease <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the brown people followed and we know better do anything else yeah. about it maybe they just weren't there long enough to get a dike a dike system that could handle uh, wet season same, yeah it's like same you know same story different colony yeah. like it's a um, yeah well they managed to keep holland dry, um, holland dry for a while when it shouldn't have been <laughs> yeah true they got they got probably the best walls in the world for keeping sea out that that might last for now for now <laughs> for now yeah when it goes above um, several meters that's gonna be fun yeah so i mean any 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 place like that will have that knowledge at some point in time where the original inhabitants before like a western colonized notion of land governance or engineering or others came to bear on that land it's the same like how deep you know i was fascinated by learning about the seven season calendar that many um clans within australia used to manage the land for all of life and the mosaic you know cultural burns that you know victor and team are trying to bring back into contemporary management but like the urban planning and land planning you know still you know, like I think the, like I say the bushfires started in 2019, like 200 and something years, 220 years ago, when Western land management practices came to bear. Like, how do you unravel that? <laughs> or how do you integrate that into a new human settlement paradigm? Maybe it's not, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to just default to say it's urban. You know, is urban density the right strategy for humanity and our species going forward is there something more distributed is there something more bioregional you know is there something more watershed or ecosystem-led strategy around humans integrate um, and we know on the research that was done in british columbia that when the land management practices of the local tribe in british columbia actually outperformed the nature preserve around it that was just basically held under the protection of the Canadian national government, like <laughs> that when, when humans are participating and actively involved in, in, in you know, life and evolution of life in that place, it actually performs better than just being put behind a fence and protected in this kind of reductionist conservation model. Um, so how that all comes together to bear and, and you know, whether I, we like to say bioregional regeneration or biocultural restoration and because all that and all how all that comes together and harmonized into an approach and model. We're trying to think about that now 
in the context of the great, like my call just before this is with, um, unfortunately, too many fucking white people. Um, but like the, like the, like the Great Lakes fire regional strategy and the context of the 21st century climate refugee and migration that's going to happen in the next 50 years and the, the water crisis and water wars that are going to happen, given that I'm sitting near 90% of the world's fresh water reserve in the Great Lakes, right? And how that, that, that resource is going to be managed when you have a billion people trying to find food and water in the next 50 years that are displaced, whole countries displaced. You know, and how we manage that. It's, are we going to militarize and protect it? Or are we going to be as inclusive as possible and look at new ways of looking at food and water and energy land use and all this other thing? It's like, it's, it's now it's real. So the faster we think about, like, and I'm proposing that we stop and do some training. <laughs> Like to have like the Tysons of the world and the Ojibwe and the chiefs and the elders who know this land deeper than the Western government currently plays here, you know, to stop and learn and think before we start planning, right? Before we start thinking about ideas of how to do this, like how, do we actually have the right evolutionary brain to think about what's needed? Right, that's the challenge is how we unlearn and decolonize a largely Western population that's thinking about these issues and that have the right brain. This is like the 12 step program that Tyson talked about. Like <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta decolonize yeah. the mind of the planners and the and the mayors and like so that actually we have the right men, mental model to conceive of the solutions. I just, I, and I that's like, where I don't, it's, it's not, yeah, go ahead, Tyson. I just, I feel like we've been at that for three decades. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and it's, it, it's, yeah. it's way easier to change the temperature of the earth than it is to change somebody's mind. Yeah. <laughs> <I reckon>. But, the, <laughs> but you know, direct. now we're in this weird place where I feel like we're overburdening our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, or first people, brothers and sisters, that we've been trained in regenerative, and now we're like afraid to move forward without, you know, having the Tysons and the Chells and others at the table, and then that's like this unfair capacity burden, right? I do, we just went through that on the connecting the country framework for New South Wales, and like, yeah. you know, our brother, you know, at the New South Wales Department of Architectures got pressure on him from the white Western context to get deliverables done. And then it puts pressure on shells. It's putting pressure on country and that's not the way it's going to work. It's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some X factor there. It's, um, I, th I think it's just nothing happens for a long time and then everything moves at once. It's usually how these things happen, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll I guess we'll see how see how it works out. We'll see. And there's also like a mixture of things as well, right? Like I think we always try to like polarize things. I we talked about this uh with Tyson when Jason Fox was there. Like, you know, it's uh, we see this one group and one thing and we want to say, okay, they have the solutions for everything and all of the responsibilities there, but then like, you know, with people like you as well, Jason, 
like we're all kind of working together to build capacities in all the places that we lack. Like Western civilization lacks that integrative understanding of holistic thinking, whereas indigenous knowledge has that holistic thinking. And it's about like kind of bringing the two together in a sort of weird abstract way <laughs> that will hopefully shape futures for the better. And there's also, um, at least with the UN agenda, there's this massive stress on like young people being <laughs> being like, oh, the solution to climate change and everything, where most of us are going like, oh, you created all the problems and now it's up to us. <laughs> Great. Yeah, <laughs> you know? but, 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 but all the, this whole, that's a whole generation of kids that grew up in a largely Western educated fucking modality, right? Like, yeah. Like there's a whole piece of me that's always uh, focusing on regenerative education in K through 12 and a network of leaders across the world that are infusing Maori knowledge in K through 12 or Islamic principles and values and custodians. And like, like when I was there in Qatar doing that and we're now doing that here in K through 12 and it's happening in Australia. Like, like the whole system has to be looked at holistically. It's Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, I've, just... I've learned a little bit how to do that with my kids but i had to learn that from how Charles was raising her daughter and how like some of that i i started to think about how i raise my own kids differently like it's it's crazy it's, <laughs> it's, it's always funny though that. like yeah. um you know uh, just having been in education for a couple of decades that that I, I idea of um you know engineering a curriculum you know based on you know sustainability principles or you know, decolonizing principles and that, you know, so <laughs> trying to put, uh, you know, regenerative, you know, well, are we going to make the curriculum a regenerative curriculum in the place where we incarcerate our children, you know, during business hours, because there's no place for them in the world where we have to do our work. <laughs> Bingo. You know, it's just Bingo. like, yeah, yeah. Let's uh in inside those sort of prison gates. We'll you know let let's let's make all that regenerative. That's that's part of that uh, dilemma I was talking about before. From you know uh, you know we which comes, which comes first. You know you've got it, it. It's difficult to design regenerative systems. You know within an economy that is not. You know how do you do that because it can't function within that wider economy. You know, it has to make concessions to that economy and therefore, you know, can have all the trappings of being a regenerative model. But, you know, and, and it's, wow, this plant's growing on the side of the skyscraper. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> we need more phosphorus. Bring it. Tick. Tick. Yeah. But I know. We'll colonize Norfolk Island. Let's let's do that. The New South Wales government did that. They're still just taking people's <laughs> islands. You know, well, now they want to fucking colonize fucking Mars. Dude. It's like, <laughs> well, they won't find their phosphorus there. I, I don't know. Yeah. But just, just, I mean, you know, just uh, like all the problems that you need to be able to live on Mars, like just, you know, uh, where, where will we act? How will we, how, where will we access salt? You know, on Mars, like just solving that problem requires more resources than we have. <laughs> <laughs> more resources and time than we currently have you know on on the earth to solve mm. it's like we need to cut off that escape route you know minds that that's the first thing we need to do yeah. so ishni where are you in your phd journey are you like in the middle of your dissertation work right now um 
No, <laughs> I'm kind of just, I started in September. So I'm in the initial stages of things. I'm currently trying to like establish a methodology that can help capture all of these things. Yeah, so going a little crazy scientist at the moment, <laughs> drawing up charts and things, trying to put them on my walls so I can step back and look at the bigger picture rather than going down my little rabbit holes. Because um, I guess I have, you know, conservation, indigenous knowledge, regeneration, and then the different typologies of human settlements, all of which operate in different disciplines. And so the gaps kind the age of, of the age of specialization exactly this and i a, yeah yeah and i yeah. feel like a bit of a you know like a i exist in the fringes of all of the different disciplines <laughs> and it's kind of trying to understand what methodologies i can use that's why i was having a chat with tyson you know so I, how can i like incorporate like indigenous methodologies to bring it all together and have a holistic understanding of things and apply it. She hasn't been forced, forced yet into like a tiny specialist where she's going to end up. It'll be like, you know, I don't know, um, uh, disabled people's attitudes towards drinking straws within the regenerative urban design movement or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it'll end up focusing right down to a point like that unless she can keep dodging, dodging her supervisors. No, you've done you've done lit you've done lit review. Mm. Have you done like have you have you had time with Chels? No, I haven't actually. Tyson uh, introduced us through email, but I haven't heard from. You know how hard it is to pin her down. She's, yeah. It's hard to pin her down, <laughs> but if you pin her down, like so, you're you're hearing my perspective with my western educated mind that's been slightly decolonized I'm, I'm probably like a third grader if that of like learning the gum banger knowledge at least the chels has allowed me to learn and i've graduated over the last six years to learn and, and been allowed to learn more knowledge mm. as, as i go through gates i don't know i don't call them gates but just time um but it's been a culture of reciprocity of learning so chels has been learning from me the western connotations of urban development and built environment mindsets and different disciplines and specialties and so she, it's, it's a co-evolution of our, our way of working together um as brother and sister and how we look at this um so she's been really good at taking everything she's learned on projects with me, working with developers on big urban regeneration projects and how to really think about how she engages clients and talks about these things and the application of indigenous knowledge authentically woven into the DNA of a new urban precinct and what that looks like and different ways that they integrate with Western science. So she's got some really interesting um, imagery and a taxonomy. We, we put like our, our research together, right? We've written a couple of papers about it, um, but I, we have a, we have a presentation that we've given together that kind of weaves our collective wisdom together, and what this looks like. Um, so she's a really good counterpoint to me, um, balancing like how I've been trained and like 
a PhD in real estate finance and development and urban regeneration precincts and managing like multi-billion dollar projects versus Shell's, she's a knowledge holder of the Gambanger people, you know, her Mm. totem is the ocean and her personal totem, like just learning how that manifests in the project. And she's a marine biologist and who also specializes in forestry and urban planning. And she does not see those disciplines as separate. I love that. um, At all. You know, that, yeah, Yeah, they were one thing. And she just Mm. finished her PhD. Um, at ANU, so she's fresh. You'd be like an evolution of her of working with her. She'd be a great resource for you. Mm. And the two of us together, just having a yarn with you, you know, it's like um, could help out. What's um what projects you're working on, or projects that you've uh, finished up or left to continue uh, uh, growing um, that that have sort of worked out, and and how did they work? So we worked, the first one we did was um, a project in Canberra for um, the CSIRO. So it was like an 880-acre hectare new community that they wanted to be like a living community, like energy, wastewater positive, climate positive, you name it, everything. And I had, I brought the world-leading experts I knew to the table that actually could speak the language, not, not, not equally across the table, but really knew how to speak with and engage with Chels on her level. Um, and she had a field day, like bringing her knowledge to bear on influencing a design team um, that was a, a well-versed enough to do like living infrastructure, living buildings, like you know, a community that mimics an ecosystem service to use Western science language. Um, and it was the first time, and it, you know, how we apply a seven season calendar and she did an ecological calendar um, for the project specific to the species and flora and fauna. We met and learned and walked the site and saw the land through her eyes. And, and the, so the design team was kind of, following her lead on how to resp- look at a design response through her eyes and through the, the I forget the first custodians there, Nunawal? N- That's it, Nunawal, yeah. Nunawal, the Nunawal people. So, and, you know, and the cultural protocols and how we work with them and how we engage with them to integrate um, their understanding of the land and country into it. The what 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 it could look like, um, and Cyro loved it. Like it was like everyone loved it. And then somehow some white asshole in the government, <laughs> some white man, came in and fucked it all up. <laughs> Outside of our control. Is that um, is that generally how the projects the, end up? <laughs> in Australia, yeah. Well, like you do these massive design RFPs. Um, and put together like a world-class team and spend a million dollars on a response and then it just goes into a black hole because some politician gets involved and takes all the IP and then everything disappears, you don't hear anything. And it's like so, an executive but, producer in a movie. But we trained a lot of people um, in how to do this and that the project director is a really cool woman in Canberra and she said fuck this and bought a huge chunk of land next to that site and is doing what we all the IP with together 
and Shells uh, is yeah. on that project. Yeah, that's and that what would we be an interesting project for you to study. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with Claire. Yeah, so Claire is our client, um, and that was the breakthrough project where Shells understood where I was coming from. We had a big crying meeting in the coffee shop in Canberra, and that's when we became brother and sister. <laughs> um, Love that. And then. We, we took that knowledge to another developer in Melbourne and another developer in Sydney. And then ultimately we're looking at a framework called Connecting the Country, which is more like a, some guidelines and cultural protocols for how you really look at the integration of indigenous wisdom and country or life-centered design on new developments or retrofitting existing developments in New South Wales that is being led by the government architect's office. And that's been looking nice. at like six case study projects that Victor being then you know, a fire six Alliance being one of them um, that really think beyond just the tokenistic, let's put some symbolic artwork up and recognize the history of indigenous people here. But like, actively using indigenous knowledge to plan this actual precinct so there's a framework being done ah that's exciting well it sounds like there could be some good methodology there's some uh, good methodology that, that yeah be worth looking at uh -uh. Oh, lovely oh that's so cool. is at the nexus is a lot of that yeah yeah well we read i think um, yeah we read through the chapter you and Charles did um there and I, th I think Ishni had a couple of questions. I'm not sure if oh. she has to leave real quick. Oh. No, no, if you got time, but I think he still had a couple of questions there. Yeah, like you, he's Jason's answered uh, most of my questions, but I guess, hey. uh, yeah, already just like with this flow of thinking. But because, um, you've already touched on what regeneration means to you in a sense because everyone has different definitions that sort of are still on the same track but also somehow different but what i really wanted to ask was what does value in a landscape mean to you when you design spaces because like value. yeah because like i come across all of these like indicators for regenerative urban design or and, and design frameworks of sorts and all of them are still on the ecosystem services model or like assessing what was already there and what steps have been taken to restore an existing landscape when landscapes are dynamic and sometimes you probably can't restore it to restore it to its original because it's already changed and moved past but yeah I wanted to hear your thoughts on it and you, I'm assuming you've delved into the field of ecological economics and how you're looking at how you monetize natural capital and use value yes. indicators around that. Yeah, yeah. so um, it's interesting because I started this whole thing with circular in economy. Yeah, in the engineering. In engineering. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in engineering. I wanted to create like this um, land management tool using machine learning um, that has indigenous like that is incorporated with indigenous knowledge so that you know land managers can restore systems or know what to do with a degraded landscape because i was first thinking of tackling the dry land salinity issues and stuff like that but then engineering is not at a point where it recognizes these things and it's always like oh so what's the data 
Like, do we have this? Like, is does this even make sense? Maybe we can prove that indigenous um, systems work better than like conventional systems in some sort of way. And I'm like, the, what? But yeah. The closest, the, I mean, the closest we have now in a Western context is, you know, what, the, you know, Herman Daly gave birth to with ecological economics. And you have a really interesting person based at ANU down there named David, um, you know, Robert Costanza. And he used to manage the Gunn Institute for Ecological Economics at the University of Vermont. And he was one of the primary leads on the Millennial Ecosystem Assessment in 2005. So again, but it's a scientific reductionist way of thinking about this and the value of ecosystem services. And they still would use language like the systems that, that nature provide, the services that nature provide to people, right? So it's still stuck in that kind of Cartesian mindset of splitting people, you know, humans and nature. Um, but it's, it is in the valuation side of things, it's one of the biggest issues we have to contend with. So I've been trained in traditional real estate investment, finance and development, right? And there is a point where I'm running an investment model for a precinct that I'm only legally allowed to capture the financial benefits associated with that because of the accounting laws that are set in place, Western accounting laws and definition of what's eligible to be valued or included as value in that model to advise shareholders or investors in a project <laughs> right you have the income capitalization approach so i learned like 15 years ago that's the fucking problem you know if i'm trying to push the boundaries and do a living building which is the right thing to do that has you know at least from a built built perspective has zero impact on the environment let alone what it needs to do for spiritual cultural value to people in place and other living systems and other life species um there is a point in any investment model and on evaluation modeling that everything that i'm talking about is, is just considered an externality in traditional economic theory instead of looking at internalities right so how are we shepherding in this age of internalities and recognizing that we're in a closed system and you can't just forget all the other shit that's happening and only look at this financial return to people. <laughs> um, and we, I put together, uh, I can share all this with you. There's a whole research thing I did on ecological economics applied to built environments and bringing in whole different ways of thinking about value and a taxonomy around that using the forms of capital, natural capital, social capital, human capital, built capital, and financial capital. Um, so how do you, you know, as a transitional framework to move beyond just what we look at is economic value, right? And there is, I just had a two hour meeting this morning with a company that specializes in modeling this stuff um, from a built environment perspective. Um, but that next iteration is looking at, you know, how do you really think deeper about, you know, what's the indigenomics of that? What does it look like from the spiritual and cultural dimensions and benefits around that? Um, but the, the closest thing I know, and we've done studies on this for like, I just was sitting, my son's doing this research right now in his environment class. So Hurricane Katrina, right? Ripped apart the le levees and flooded New Orleans. 
And while everyone was, you know, circling to kind of fix that with a man-made solution and just rebuilding the shit out of the walls and using built capital to protect that city from future climate crises like Category 5 hurricanes, my colleagues went in and did it like, hold on a minute, Army Corps of Engineers. Like, let's step back and look at the ecological value of the wetlands and the services that nature can provide to buffer Category 5 hurricanes. So by the time they hit the land, they've, they've been downplayed to a Category 2. And the research led to everywhere the levees broke were where the wetlands were most eroded because of oil shipping channels to offshore oil rigs. And I said, if you just spend the money to restore the wetlands and let nature do what it does better than we can, you'll prevent those hurricanes from ripping apart your levee. So don't just go spend. And that changed the entire investment strategy for the Army Corps of Engineers. And they put like $5 million back in restoring the wetlands. Um, so there's people that specialize in that I can connect you with, but that's still, I would say, a transitional methodology to value nature. And there's a whole, you probably have already encountered the whole host of people out there, like, how do you put a price tag on nature? You know, how do you monetize nature? But I, you know, if you're going to look at neurobehavioral economics and shift policy and capital that as we're at now and really look at scale mm-hmm. solutions, there has to be what, what was explained to me is I am nature. Someone pays me to do something right now to work and provide for my family. So why can't that be looked at the same for nature? But at least it's starting to put a price on the externalities that we have to start internalizing. And that then shifts the fucking economics. Right. It's I'm using that now on like advising my clients saying, yeah, okay, you might have your avoided capital, your risk, but look at this impact you're having. You're not even looking at this degradation of your river and your water systems over time because you're just focusing on this one thing and not looking at the peripheral impact you're having on the ecosystems beyond that. So it's that watershed style analysis that's really crucial. So the smallest yeah. scale we can think about is a water catchment. It's good when there's a direct flow like that, like with the having yeah. the wetlands in place to as a buffer for the hurricane. You know that that's you can yeah. see that direct uh, sort of thing rather than just having a wildlife area over there just for you know the wildlife or whatever. You, you can see that, yeah, straight away there's a flow that's connecting the built environment. Mm-hmm. And those uh, civic spaces, you know, with that natural system, same wow. as what Ishni was describing before with that lakes, you know, uh, system and, and the forest and et cetera around it. Um, yeah. And it yeah, was the same. To flow to that. I, I heard something similar just, just quick with um, in Nepal, me and um, Megs were talking to someone from Nepal who was talking about a, sim- a really similar system where that was in the high ground. You know, lake, swamp, forest. And then they had like these thousand year old ceramic pipes sort of system uh, coming from from there and down. And that's that's where the water for the for the built environment is, you know, for all the plumbing, etc., has been forever coming down through the ceramic pipes. It's like, wow, they've been around for that long. And it's like, how do you clean them? How do you clean those pipes? Because they're just small you know like they're only as round as your arm 
you know, how do you clean these just miles of ceramic pipe? And it's like, oh, well, that's um, that's been set up. There's like a whole symbiosis been set up, like in that system where the frogs are moving down from the swamp down to the lower crown. They go through the pipes, uh-huh. and you know, um, and of course they get chased by the snakes. The snakes go through, and so they they dislodge a lot of the stuff that's built up. Um, and then, but who chases the snakes? Is the mongoose chases? <laughs> chases the snakes through the pipes and their fur just finishes the process of cleaning it out so like every year when that season comes around you get those three animals you know in their symbiotic relation to the plumbing system they clean it so it's a self-cleaning thing as long as you keep the swamp healthy etc and of course you keep all of the forest around that you know and the lake you keep that clear and you let let the land do what the land does then you have clean um sanitary water coming down oh forever you know so that's that's the beautiful <laughs> thing yeah oh that's really cool um also it was long that was a long-winded response to evaluation but yeah value is a huge issue more yeah. where i get tripped at tyson is like learning about the beer room of fish traps man like fucking forty-two thousand year old Oh yeah, technology and lead. I mean, that's just like what I feel like a, a fucking meet moron. You know, it's like there's so much intelligence to learn from. Like uh, ancient yeah. wisdom applied to modern issues. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, oh. I came across a really cool case study in Ladakh when we were being taught sustainability Mm. and development where you know like what if you eliminate the whole idea of commodification because they didn't really even have a concept of poverty because everything was service based like Mm -hmm. in the sense that you know one family will take care of this herd for this period of time and in in return everybody helps build their house and everyone had like a two-story house because there was no concept of poverty because everyone helped everyone in that relational sort of community. And Ladakh looks like a very barren sort of land, but the, in the way that they use their resources, um, they have you know, a surplus of wheat and barley and the grains that they produce. But I guess it's because of that relational service-related, service-based sort of exchange instead of goods or commodifying goods in a monetary method which is like which is like the amish people here right or the mahale mahales that were built you know pre-1923 in turkey in istanbul like there's yeah that's that's the system that worked really well and then capitalism took over (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was i was there briefly in in your big lakes region but uh, um, not far back. It was a bit of a whirlwind tour. I wasn't there for long, but I did get to hang out with the kicker with the Amish for a, for a bit. And, you know, at least the touristy Amish bits <laughs> that you see. It's, a, it's um, an amazing, it's amazing yeah, yeah. culture to learn from. It's yeah. it very cool. Um, but the lakes yeah. were a bit of a revelation. Like it's hard to see, hard to imagine how big. Yeah. So, so I spent time with them. Our first first peoples, first nations peoples, around there and up around Niagara Falls too, and did some ceremony there. It's um, yeah, when you understand about that water, it's it's a lot. 
when you well, think about um you know all, all the people you know who are going to be following their you know lithium and oil and everything else back to the <laughs> the place that's taken it and and just how world war z it's going to look around those lakes uh, at some stage when there's nothing left in those places it's um yeah it's it's going to get pretty tricky pretty fast yeah there's some there's some planning to do you have to build a wall bros <laughs> to wall I mean, <laughs> well yeah i mean that's some of that's some of the weird like future casting that we're trying to think about like is there going to be a boundary between canada and the u.s like what are the politics of the future look like you know like it's um it gets really wackadoo really quickly when you're like you know is the un the right entity to deal with the crises we're dealing with the planetary scale right now it's you know, what is the values, belief systems, and paradigms that influence the economic and political structure of of humanity right now? Like, it gets into these bigger issues. <laughs> and... it's, it's crazy. So, that, yeah, the, yeah how, do you, how do you hone in on your dissertation? <laughs> <laughs> and and, 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 and cri crystallize something that Tyson's going to prove. <laughs> Well, you have the right brain trust around you that there's, I mean, Car Carol's an interesting one to talk to you about this stuff, too, because she just gets right to the fucking point, man. She's like, she Carol, like Carol slapped me across the, Carol Sanford, yeah, oh, yeah. She slapped me across the face like three times when I met with her. She's like, she just gets, she doesn't have time to deal with the bullshit. She's she does not. She's, she's a proper auntie. <laughs> she's a proper auntie, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but she's uh, I kind of run through. Yeah, she's great, but um, yeah, you're in you're in like the right, you got the right um, pool of thinking around you, so to speak. The brothers and sisters you're bringing around you to help you think about these issues is great. So <laughs> I'd love I like I mean I can yarn with you guys all week and all day on this stuff. We, we just uh, ran out of our last minute. We've got to wrap it up. Me. So yeah, like, yeah, but like, think about me as a resource for you whenever you need because having these conversations is extraordinarily helpful to me. So I appreciate mm -hmm. you considering me for the conversation for one. Um, um, and I, you know, if I can help you in any way going forward, just let me know. Oh, thank you so much. Like, thank you for having me to be a part of this, Tyson and Jason. Yeah, because it's, it's surreal. Like I was telling Tyson earlier, like he just casually mentions all these people. And then I, I went and Googled you, Jason, and I was like, oh my God, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. This, is rege this is what makes thinking regenerative too, you know? Yeah. You got to, uh, you got to act like there's a tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the little white boy from New York. I'm like the bridge, so I can help you kind of like think about how you know from the limited knowledge I understand on the indigenous knowledge side, but like also the Western. So that's what like a lot of like the work I'm doing in Australia is just kind of helping be a like somewhat of a translator, but making sure Chell's fucking signs off on everything, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm in service. Yeah, I'm not like nice. 
this is what you have to say. Yeah. So it's a different way of thinking about it, but yeah. Um, yeah. I look forward to the next time we can uh, have a yarn. Um, yeah. Sounds good. And appreciate uh, it. Yeah. It's good to see keep, you both. And thanks for the introduction. It's, um, it's not about the, the books and the papers. It's about the authors and about being in a community yeah. of practice, practice um, for this kind of thing. For well, most things really. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Deadly yeah. Russ. Thanks for Have your time. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, it's yeah. good to oh, catch you, up. you too. Thank you so much. Yeah, All right. Feel better. Cheers. All right. Catch you. Thanks, man. See you, buddy.